figure out what your dream goal is, backtrack, what are the steps? If this is where you wanna be in 15 years, where do you need to be in 12? Where do you need to be in seven? Where do you need to be in four? Money Fit by DRS. It's the Money Fit Show, your weekly podcast about real difficult money stories, overcoming financial obstacles, and tips for building healthy money habits. Compensation is a huge part of personal finance, but even compensation involves more than just your salary. I'm your host, Todd Christensen, and on today's episode, we get key insights from the author of the Career Toolkit book, Mark Hirschberg that are appropriate for all career stages. Don't miss this one or you'll find yourself saying, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Mark Hirschberg is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia, including 20 years at MIT. At MIT, MIT, he received two bachelor's of science degrees and a master's of engineering in electrical engineering and computer science, focusing on cryptology, excuse me, crypto, cryptography. I'll get that one right. He is one of the top-ranked ballroom dancers in the country and now lives in New York City, where he is known for social gatherings that include his annual Halloween party. I wish we had time to talk about that, as well as a diverse cufflink collection. Mark Hirschberg, welcome to The Money Fit Show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to share some tips with your audience. Looking forward to it. Uh, Mark, there's there's so much in that brief bio that I wish we had time to get into, but um, I did have to edit out about half of it. I want to start, I'm going to start with a, with an opening question, just kind of the, the, uh, get to know so, so that the audience gets to know you. Um, what, would you share your, do you have a favorite ballroom dance experience you mind sharing for a little bit? <laughs> Dancing in general had such a transformative effect on my life. Really? It helped me gain confidence. It introduced me to a large circle of wonderful wonderful friends, right. great for my fitness. So I, I can't pinpoint a single moment. Uh, I'm just very glad I got into it. Yeah, I did. A, uh, took a couple of ballroom dance classes at college and uh, they were among my all-time favorite classes. Good times. Okay. So uh, besides, uh, Mark, besides the obvious um, science and um, engineering expertise you possess, you've also developed a reputation for helping others to uh, create career plan. What, what do you think most people think of when they first hear that term career plan? And how would you like them to kind of change maybe that initial impression? Is there something that they, that they get stuck on or maybe they don't go beyond? Very much so. People think of career planning as something you do when you're 20, when you're coming right out of college and saying, oh, I think I want to go into this field versus that. Mm-hmm. And maybe I think a few years ahead. Or if they think about it later, People get hung up on, well, how am I going to know what I want to do in 10 years or 15 years? I, no one can plan that far ahead. Mm-hmm. And these are both misconceptions. Think of it this way. When you're at your job, you're going to be working on big projects. Your company might say, oh, we have a year-long project. You would never say, okay, great, year-long project, but let's not bother planning. 
let's forget the plans, forget the budget, because who the heck knows what's going to happen, right? right? That's insanity. Instead, you say, we're going to create a plan. Now, when you're creating a plan that's going to last a year, you know you will not follow it to a T. Right. There will be things that come up. There will be changes. People might move the goalposts on you, and that's okay. But you have your plan so that you can make progress, you can see how you're doing, and then you can adjust your plan as you need. When we think about our careers, these are projects, personal projects that last 10, 15, 20 years. So thinking, oh my God, how am I going to get this right, can restrict you from moving forward. Instead, say, all right, I'm going to make a plan. I know it's going to be a little more concrete in the next two, three years and fuzzier further out. And I know I'm going to have to regularly change this plan. And that's okay. It's just like any other project. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was, um, I'll, I'll admit, I was on the six and a half year undergrad program uh, that uh, one of those that I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know what I'm going to want to do. I, every class I took was a new favorite almost. And so in my mind back then, it was how can I plan for that future? What, what is a, a career? What does a career plan look like? I mean, is it, are you talking written? Is it, is it something, how often do you look at it? Uh, how do you, how do you remember to look at it even? Different people may want to approach it different ways. So we're going to talk conceptually and then here are specific things you can choose to do. Now, it begins with a bunch of questions that you want to ask yourself, not just about your job, but even about your life. Where do you want to wind up living now in the future? What's this going to mean to your time with your family? How much time do you want to spend traveling? Do you want to have an impact in your industry or on the world? And so these will help inform our job just as much as questions like, do I want to be working with lots of other people? Do I want to have a structured nine to five job or flexible hours? So you're going to ask all these questions. They're, by the way, not only in chapter one of the career toolkit, but they're also available free on my website that I know we'll mention later. So you start by asking these questions. And for some folks, you might want to write this down and formally say, okay, I'm going to take notes. For others, it might just be shower thoughts or as you're commuting to work, just as you have some spare time, just start thinking through it. So you can be as formal as informal as you want. Then what you wanna do is say, okay, I know what I would enjoy doing. Here's my dream role. Now to get to that job, I'm not gonna be able to get that job tomorrow, but I will maybe in 10 years. So I knew when I was a software developer, I wanted to become the CTO, Chief Technology Officer. Mm -hmm. You can't just go right from software engineer to CTO. Right. Along the way, I'd have to do things. Now, it wasn't just I had to have certain titles. I had to have experience hiring people and managing people and delivering projects of a certain size and hitting some revenue numbers. So I needed jobs along the way. I wasn't so concerned what the title was, where I could hit certain achievements that would set me up for that goal. So when you figure out what your dream goal is, and that might be in 5, 10, 20 years, define the role. And if you don't know how to define it, talk to other people, talk to people in the industry, talk to people in that position, listen to podcasts, look up online where you can find more information about, and then backtrack what are the steps. If this is where you want to be in 15 years, where do you need to be in 12? Where do you need to be in seven? Where do you need to be in four? Reverse engineering. Exactly right. And then you can create your plan. Yeah. To the third part of your question, how often do you go back to this? And your plan, again, might be formally written down or it might just be something you keep in your head, however you like to do it. But you have to regularly check in. We know with that year-long project we talked about at work, 
you can't just say, well, let's, let's hope it works. As we said, you have to check in maybe monthly. How are we doing? What do we have to change? I recommend at least once a year, maybe twice a year. You have probably your annual review is a good time to do it. Even if your company doesn't do that, just put something on your calendar, a recurring six month, 30 minutes. Think about my career plan. Set that on your calendar every six months, 30 minutes every six months. You can spare that. And that's going to help you refine and review it. Good. Good. Now, you know, I'm thinking a lot of our listeners may be already mid-career or into it several years. And when we think of career plans, you know, I, I'm among that, I was among that group that my career plan was I wanted to earn this much money and I wanted to maybe live in this place. And at times it was, I'm willing to do whatever just to get there. Um, but I didn't think about, you, you know, you talked about time with family and traveling and there's, there's a lot of great jobs that, that uh, pay great, but don't allow you to have that kind of time and vice versa. Things that offer great time with your family, but are not going to um, compensate you much. Uh, when you're mid-career, does that, uh, you're already set in a place maybe, how does, for our listeners who are there, they might feel kind of stuck. It, it, do they still, can they still benefit from that sort of a plan? You absolutely can. In chapter one of the career toolkit, we lay out this concept of graphs of how you can map out almost a decision tree going forward of where you can go. Certainly when you're 18, there's a wider set of options. Mm -hmm. You could go off and go to med school and become a doctor. That's not as easy an option if you're an accountant who's 45. You have to take lots of classes, invest a lot of time. The ROI might not be there. But if you're an accountant at 45, you can still say, well, do I keep being an accountant? Do I want to achieve some certain title at the organization I'm at? Do I want to set up my own company, go out on my own? Do I maybe want to shift and go in-house? In fact, maybe as an accountant, I want to go find some financial services startup and then get more on the product side. And I can shift my career and become a product manager. It's not something I can do in one job hop, but I can do it in a few. So there's still directions you can go in. It might not be as diverse as your options when you were 18, but you still have plenty of options. And it's just a matter of thinking about them and creating that plan. You mentioned, uh, Mark, you mentioned that there's those who might want to start uh, uh, launch their own business. Um, they're already they're already probably thinking, oh, if I'm going to need financing, I'm going to have to do a business plan. But career plan, how does that work into launching out on your own? Um, what are some of the things that you, you would say you've got to keep this in mind, even if you've got a great business plan, keep this in mind for your career plan? Well, these are also trade-offs. If you start your own business, we know certain things tend to be true. You're not going to draw a lot of salary early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So you have to say, can I take little or no salary for the next one, two, three years? Right. We know you're going to spend a lot more time. If, for example, you just had some young children and your spouse is relying on you to be very engaged, maybe now is not the time to start the company. Maybe wait until those kids go off to school. So you can think about timing in terms of your lifestyle. One thing I will mention, I speak on a lot of entrepreneurial shows and the the default is, well, I'm a a founder. I don't need a career plan because I have my job. It's called founder. Right. 
And it's true, your title may not change, but that doesn't mean the other aspect of, of your career plan, the development, the growth of yourself and your business still very much matters. You're just not changing your title. So you still want to have a career plan when you look at the other components that we talk about in the career toolkit. Nice. I'm wondering if that's, you know, you talk about the, the demands on the time. If that's, it seems to me that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, they typically come from, we think of them as, oh, these 18, 20, 25 year olds. But if I'm understanding, I think I understand, I've seen studies that the biggest time in life for people to become their own bosses is actually in their early fifties or mid fifties somewhere when the kids are no longer as, as demanding of their time. Is that, does that sound about right? I have seen those studies as well. Now, first, I always distinguish when we talk about entrepreneurs, you have the Silicon Valley 22 year olds trying to create a unicorn, which is different than someone saying, I do want to set up my own legal practice, my own accounting firm, my own bakery. Right. And they're both startups. So one of them is that high risk, keep doubling down until you either become very rich or go under. The other is, I'm just going to start a small business. I'm not trying to be a hundred million dollar or more business. But they're both entrepreneurial in that you're taking those risks. You're taking that lower salary. There's uncertainty. And to your point, we see with that, especially that latter type, the running my own small business tends to be a lot later. First, because you have the skills now. You know a little more about sales and marketing and financing and hiring people, which you didn't have at 22. Right. At 22, you might be going to get a VC and they're going to help you. But if you're just setting up your own small business, you don't have a VC backing you. You're getting a bank loan and it's all on you. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a stronger network. You'll have more skills that make the odds higher if you're starting later in life for many people. You also probably have a spouse and if, for example, your spouse has a steady income, that can help offset some of the risk. True, true. Well, let's, uh, let's bring it, uh, this to many of our, our listeners who are in a situation where they, they might be well-employed uh, and enjoy their what they do, but they're dealing with quite a bit. Maybe they're dealing with a lot of consumer debt, credit cards, or maybe medical debts. And they're trying to figure out what their options are to help them get out of debt. And, you know, the, the first place a lot of people turn to is I'm going to find a better paying job. Is, what is that the option or it just is that one of many? And, and what, what do you usually talk about when you somebody in that situation? Certainly, we do think of income and finance related to our job. I always remind people, your compensation from a job is not strictly your salary. I don't just mean benefits. There's other things you get as well. I took a job early in my career. I wound up spending a year working at Harvard Business School, helping to develop a course there. Mm -hmm. Harvard Business School, being an academic institution, the pay was a little below market. Mm -hmm. And I was okay doing that partially because I was very young and didn't need as much money back then, but also because I sat three feet from a professor for a year. I joke that HBS paid me to learn finance. Most students have to pay them. They paid me. I had incredible one-on-one tutoring throughout the year while I was getting paid. So I was okay taking less pay than I could get elsewhere because one of my career objectives was to get better at finance. 
And I could not ask for a better type of training. So you might want to think about long-term, not just how can I get more money tomorrow, but what's setting me up long-term. And that might mean taking a job for the next two to three years where, okay, you could have done a little better financially in terms of income, but that job's going to set you up for a better opportunity down the road. So think about global maximization, not local maximization. I would, I would guess that that would be particularly important for anybody who, who has in the back of their mind, I want to, I want to eventually go out on my own and uh, to be looking around for mentors or, or building uh, networks at their, at their jobs. Very true. If you're going to go out on your own, you might say, I want to join this smaller business. Maybe they can't pay as well, but I'm going to be able to look over the shoulder of the founder mm -hmm. and learn and get exposed to aspects that I can't see when I'm at a 3000 person company. Yeah. Now, Mark, now I, I, you, uh, besides the career plan, um, you write a lot, you've written about uh, negotiations and, and the nature or the importance of negotiations. And it's not just in, we're, we're not just talking about salary negotiations. How, how does that fit into our topic or our discussion today? Um, why, why should somebody care uh, about building their negotiation skills? There are a number of skills I talk about in the book. There's 10 different skills, which are the skills that companies say they are looking for, but can't find in employees. Now, negotiation is one that most people, we've, we've heard of it, we know about, but we don't do it. And let's understand why this is so important. Imagine you're 42 and you have a job offer for $70,000. Instead of accepting that job, you've spent a little time, you learn to negotiate. I'm not talking about being the world's greatest negotiator. I'm just talking about getting a little bit better. Right. So you negotiate and get $71,000. So $1,000 more, that's pretty small. Mm -hmm. If you do nothing else, if you sit in this job for the next 25 years until you retire, that one five-minute negotiation just got you 1000 more for 25 years. In five minutes, you just earned $25,000 more. Right. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. But of course, we know you're not going to stay in that job for 25 years. You're going to have promotions and raises and other jobs. And in fact, you're going to negotiate probably for more than just $1,000 extra. If you learn to negotiate, again, not being the world's best, just getting a little bit better, you can add tens of thousands of dollars potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earning. Mm -hmm. This is incredible. Yeah. Now, as you point out, it's not just salary we negotiate. It's other things, including opportunities, professional growth, access to things. You can get incredible value. If you learn to negotiate, you're also going to get better at negotiating when you buy or sell your house, or even when you negotiate with your coworkers or your spouse or your children, we do a lot of non-financial <laughs> negotiations in our life. Way too much sometimes. So if you learn to negotiate, you're going to have this massive ROI. And by the way, here's another secret. We use negotiation when we teach this because it's so obvious you can do that math. So oh, mm -hmm. 25 times 1,000, here we go. But if you put the same investment into these other skills, getting a little bit better about communicating, growing your network a little more, being a better teammate, a better leader, getting just slightly better, you're going to get the same type of ROI. Now, no one's going to say, oh, you're a better communicator. Here's $1,000 more. But it's going to have them see you as a more 
uh, useful employee to have on the team as someone they want to promote faster or someone who gets that job. And you're going to get that same type of return, just not in a here's X dollars more. So all of these skills, starting with negotiation, but really for all of them, if you just get a little bit better, it's going to have a massive financial return and a great return on your overall success. Right. Let me uh, vocalize what a lot of listeners are probably thinking or or feeling. I would like to be a better negotiator, but I'm not comfortable with conflict. And that's 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 not necessarily what negotiation is, because a lot of times we just assume negotiating is I win, you lose. And that, uh, how, how do you how do you help somebody that that has that uh, train of thought? This is how pretty much every student in my class begins right. saying, yeah, I, I don't like that. And I, okay, I have to prepare for battle. Within the career toolkit, each chapter begins with a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And with negotiations, people have that concept of, okay, we're, we're buying a car over Craigslist, right? And so that's what we call a zero-sum negotiation. Every extra dollar I talk you down is one more dollar in my pocket and vice versa. And so we're really in opposition. But in fact, most negotiations aren't zero sum. And they are not about how do I just get more for me? One of the professors I work with, Larry Suskin, has a really great analogy. He says, good negotiators, you're not just dividing up the pie. You first think about how you can expand the pie. And then you also divide up the pie. So if, for example, we're looking at, we start out and I've got a um, you know, 80-20 split, right? I'm getting 8%, you're getting 20%. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing pretty well, but you know, maybe I can do better. If I can triple that pie, if I can come up with ways to make it more valuable to all of us, then you know what? I can take 90%. You're only getting 10%, but the pie is three times bigger. You're so still getting-, getting more. I have actually helped you gain more value even while I got more value for myself. So good negotiators recognize it's not about how much can I take from you, Mm -hmm. but how can we create more value for both of us? I still want to get as much as I can, but I'm going to generate more value for you. And that's good for all of us. So we're not in opposition. It's a partnership. It's a, it's a negotiating how to help each other out. That's exactly right. Throughout the book, I always use the term your negotiation partner yeah. Even if that person's on the other side of the table, because you two are partners in creating this agreement to help both of you. Great. Uh, if I can, uh, um, as we approach the end of this uh, interview, Mark, which I really appreciate a lot of good information here. Uh, let's say uh, some of our, our uh, listeners are uh, parents of, of college kids that are in that position of uh, getting ready to go off to college. Um uh, what, uh, where do they begin or what, how do they, how do they sit down their, uh, their son or their daughter and say, okay, yes, have a good time at college, uh, makes, make good choices, <laughs> but also keep in mind why you're, well, why you are there. These skills are terrific to begin in college. And as you know, it, I've been teaching them at MIT in our career success accelerator program for the past 20 years. The book happens to be very popular as a graduation gift uh, for people who are graduating high school and college. So this is a great starting guide. 
And you can go through it with your son or daughter and say, let's go through this chapter. Let's talk about it. Because skills like building your network, college is a fantastic time to do that. You're surrounded by other soon-to-be college graduates. Learning to negotiate, you're going to be doing a lot of that throughout college, mm. negotiating with your peers and student groups, negotiating with friends, with roommates. That's going to happen a lot. Communicating, you're suddenly exposed to all sorts of different people who didn't grow up in your community, your neighborhood, learning how to communicate ideas to people with different backgrounds, different mental models. So this book is a good starting point, whether you use my book or another book out there. And on my website, I list dozens of other books I recommend. I have no financial incentive, but these are ones that will help you develop these skills. Start off, get them for your son or daughter and discuss them with him or her. Don't just yeah. say, read this, good luck. Let's talk about it because you have experiences that can help illuminate it. In fact, when we teach it to our students, the fact that we have people like myself who have done this for decades, we can help bridge from that abstract concept to here's how it applied by explaining examples of what they will see in the workplace from our own lives. Yeah, I, th I think that's critical. You know, we talk about don't just give it to them and and say, read it. I did the same thing with my son in, in personal finance. My first, my firstborn uh, went off to college, uh, and uh, I, I said, "Here's, you know, here's how you budget." We talked about budgeting and the importance of credit. And then I said, "We're let's just talk once a week or for the first month or two until you get your feet under you and, and are figuring it out." I think a lot of parents don't want to push that, but most young people when they're heading off to college, adulting for the first time, right? They're going to want that, that that's, they're going to really, and they may not even vocalize it, but they're, they're, they're going to appreciate that support that they get in, uh, in just living, uh, learning how to live their, uh, independently. Mark, what, uh, what's one piece of practical advice that you uh, would like to leave our audience with that you'd recommend? When you develop these skills, they aren't as simple as read this and repeat. It's not like, learning history in high school or algebra or anything else where you just memorized and regurgitated the information. What I just recommended you do with your son or daughter and have these discussions, that applies to you as well as you're learning leadership, networking, negotiations, even thinking through your career plan. So it is helpful to create a peer group. You can potentially do this at your job and have other people develop these skills as well or you can create your own peer group, maybe with other parents, create a local meetup group. And I have on the website that we'll mention uh, towards the end, a free guide you can download to help you create these groups because it's in the discussion that you're going to get the benefit. So you can start with my book or great podcasts like this one or articles online, however you wanna do it, get some content, but have that discussion about the topic and that's going to help you really deepen your understanding of it. Right on. All right. Enough teasers, Mark. Let's go ahead. And, and where, where can people find you online? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can learn more about the book, buy it at Amazon, other online places, hard copy or uh, electronic. You can get in touch with me, follow me on social media. There is a free app for Android and iPhone. So linked from the website, if you go to the app page, that'll take you right to one of those two sites for the free download. And that's going to have the tips in the book. They're going to just pop up on your phone once a day just to help reinforce and remind you of them. So you set the time when you want it to come up, look at, swipe it away. 
There's also the resources page I mentioned where I list other great books. I've got the download. It's the first download on the page, the development guide. I've got the career questions listed on that page as well. So I can help you get started planning. All of this is at the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. I'm going to include that in our show notes uh, so you can click on it uh, here as you listen. So uh, Mark, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate uh, what you've shared. I appreciate our learners for, uh, listeners for joining us uh, and joining me as a learner here. I'm learning as, as well. But uh, to, to our listeners, thank you for... Um, for joining us and, and do please check out our podcast archives at moneyfit.org slash podcast. And until next time, uh, as I say, uh, thank you again to uh, Mark Hirschberg uh, for joining us. I will say thank you and stay money fit and stay well. Oh, 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 o